Our message this day on uh, July 28th, 2013 is stretch it out, slap it, and stand in it. Stretch it out, slap it, and stand in it. If you can guess what we're going to preach about, you have my greatest admiration right now. I come, I, I, I love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Yes. Come on now. When you really love somebody, you have a hard time not talking about them. You have a hard time not showing their pictures off. Maybe even somebody you love wrote you a letter at one time, and you probably hung it on the wall and showed it off to all your friends. I love the Lord like that. And I pray that you love the Lord like that. If you've been tricked into believing that it is an inward matter and that you honor God with your solemn reverence to the point where we can't tell that you reverence Him at all, you're wrong. I don't mind telling you that. Because when you love somebody, everybody around you begins to notice. It doesn't take us long to point out a new couple that is falling in love because suddenly they're spending every waking moment together. They go a little sleep deprived. They learn to do without everything else that they might spend a little time in each other's presence. I remember when Stephen and Dee Dee got married. They looked like two little teenagers holding hands and skipping along. I've seen this at every age and every time. If you love the Lord, it is not an inward and private matter. In the name of Jesus, I'd like to kick that lie in the face today. Turn with me to Joshua 5. Is that all right? Because that's where we're going. In Joshua 5, we're going to pick up in the sixth verse. Today we're going to stretch it out, we're going to slap it, and we're going to stand in the middle of it. Joshua 5 and verse 6. Are you there? Y'all going to have to talk to me this morning. Look, y'all look at your neighbor and say it's all right to talk in church. Now mumble to yourself, even if you're white. It's going to be okay. You people that have a little pigment challenge, you can get over it. It's all right. We do not have to worship in the same way that they do in those cathedrals in Europe. We don't have to do it. The spirit of the living God can enter us, and you can even speak out loud in church. And you know what? Lightning won't strike, at least not the bad kind. But the altar of your heart might be set ablaze. You have to learn to step out, saints. We have to learn to speak out. We've been quiet too long. Somebody say amen. amen. Here comes Joshua 5 and the verse 6. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord. You need to know that if we do not obey the Lord, there is one outcome only. There's not a list of outcomes. There's one and one only disobedience brings death. If when you look around you, you see more death than life, then you have your report card right there. Disobedience, 100% of the time, brings death. It's funny, we crazy, charismatic, Pentecostals, Baptocostals, whatever it is that we are, often talk in terms of blessings and curses as if it's a mystical thing. It's so mystical that God tells you how to be blessed and how to be cursed. And he said it at the very same time. Disobedience to the word of God brings a curse in a man's life, and obedience to the word of God brings a blessing. Nobody can put a curse on me. In the name of Jesus, it will not land on me any more than a butterfly is going to land on the burning sun. 
but I can certainly bring a curse upon myself. These men that were Israelites were called to be princes with God. Not princesses, princes. They were called to be rulers. They were called to reign. They were called to be the examples of God's kingdom on the earth. And God put them in a difficult situation so that people could see it wasn't their strength. It would be like having a clay jar filled with something like gold. Everyone would see there must be something inside of these people that causes them to be what they are. Only they did not live up to that high calling. Now, mind you, they came out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They followed the pillar of fire, and they ate heavenly food. And God was displeased with them because they did not trust him. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.12 to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Did you come ready to work today? Come on now, did you come ready to work today? You don't show up in the gym with your donut. You don't show up in the gym with your coffee. You show up in the gym in workout clothes. Why is it when we come to church we got a donut in one hand and coffee in the other? Because we've already agreed that you're okay and I'm okay. I'm here to tell you that's not okay. (laughs) It's not. We have to work it out. We have to examine ourselves to see, are we in the pure faith? Not were we in the pure faith, not will we be in the pure faith. Are we standing right now in God's will? Because this is a whole generation of men. Say, that's a lot of men. That's a lot of men who died in the desert. And God had to raise up replacements for them. Look at how this worked. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. I don't want somebody to have to take my place. I'm training my replacement, and yet he won't take my place. He will further what God started in me. Boy, to take your place means that you didn't hold on to it. To take your place means that that little plot of the earth that is the kingdom of God where you stand, you let go of. But the living God shouldn't have to raise up somebody to take your place. He should raise up somebody that furthers your place. Do you want to leave a legacy in the kingdom? It's not done with brick and mortar. It's not done with names on signs. It is done by the obedience that comes from a sincere faith in the living God. Others learn to walk in the footsteps that we learn to walk in. They follow Jesus as they follow us. These men failed. You look at our social problems today, it's not hard to see what's happening. When fathers are not fathers in the home, but instead they simply contributed genetic material, or maybe they became a living, walking ATM for their children, they fall short of the glory of God. They are supposed to train their children in the way that they should go. Their children should learn what it is to walk with God from walking with them. The problems that we face are not race related. They are not political affiliation related. They are related to the dominance of the sin nature that has not been put underfoot. Somebody say amen. Amen. When we learn to deal with our sin, we will set these childish matters aside. 
These were the ones, I'm sorry, says, For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Don't you love when the Bible clarifies itself, Lindsay? It's like, oh, why weren't they circumcised? Because they had not been circumcised. Well, that clears it up. Thank you. Why are they wet? Because they got in the water. You know, I mean, it's one of those sentences that I'm like, ah, that doesn't tell me why they didn't get circumcised on the way. But we don't have to stretch that far, do we? We don't, we don't really have to wonder. What do you know about their parents? Their parents did not live in obedience to the living God. So what did that mean about the children? The children from their birth did not learn what was right. Oh, they called themselves Israelites. They marched with the Israelites. They saw the priest and they probably said they loved the covenant. But they did not even bear on their bodies the mark of the covenant. Come on, if daddy doesn't do right, little boy's not going to do right. Look at me, mamas. If you don't do right, your children are not going to do right. It's not the Sunday school's job to train your child. It's not the school's job to train your child. And the truth is, when those people try to train your, train your children, you chain them. Don't discipline my son. Who do you think you are to put hands on him? I thought I was an instrument of the living God. That's what I thought. If we could grab hold of our high responsibility, we would not be raising generations that are into intergalactic Xbox heroes. We wouldn't. They wouldn't be posting videos on YouTube of their 1,000 kills with no respawns in a mythical virtual world. They wouldn't do such things. We wouldn't have a generation that has no interest in a driver's license because they don't intend to go anywhere. That's both a metaphor and it's true. They intend to go nowhere. Where did they learn such behavior? We could say it started in the 60s with that weird social revolution, but it truthfully started in the garden. It is a sinful nature. So Joshua did something to these people. Along the way, something is supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen along the way? It's supposed to get circumcised. Is God interested in just cutting a man's flesh, or does it speak of something else? They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there while they were in camp until they were healed. Circumcision in this case seemed to cause damage, but in the end, it caused healing. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36 and keep your finger right here. Say, I'm going, Pastor. Oh, we could just tell you you're a champion and send you on your way, but you would come in here just as you came and you would leave the same way, just as you came. One brother told me this morning about the Israelites. When they crossed over the Red Sea, what did they do? Anybody know? It's Exodus 15. They crossed over the Red Sea and Miriam got a tambourine and what did Moses do? What did he do? He began to sing. We think of Moses, the great lawgiver. Moses was a praise and worship leader. He was a warrior. In Exodus 15, he says, the Lord is a warrior. That is his name. 
He didn't say that in some cute, trite way. He said it while there were bodies floating in the Red Sea from the Egyptians. The Lord is a warrior. That's his name. One of the things that has to happen to us saints, there's got to be an inward change. If your life is not transformed and continually being transformed, then how can we be a part of the Lord who's a warrior while we compromise with the enemy? One of the brothers said today about that Israelite crossing. See, they sang when they crossed over. He said, the church is singing the right song, but they're on the wrong side of the sea. See, we learn to sing about victory. We learn to proclaim ourselves champions, but we did not cross over the sea. The dead man is not floating behind us with the new life ahead of us. We're still wallowing in what we should have been washed from. Maybe we, today we could get the right song on the right side of the sea. Amen? But it's going to cost you somehow. You have to step out. You're going to have to do something. We cannot sit on our salvation, claim the best that heaven has, while we lay no obligation upon ourselves. The scripture lays an obligation upon you. You have an obligation to your spiritual nature, born in Christ. The eighth chapter of Romans says it. You do not have an obligation to your sinful nature, but you do to the Spirit of God. Say, I have an obligation. Oh, we're going to have to meet our obligations. Are you in Ezekiel 36? In Ezekiel 36, pick up with me in the 24th verse. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all countries and will bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a... What's that say, saints? Oh, I need a new heart. The Bible declares that the human heart is wicked beyond cure, deceitful beyond all measure. But the living God is able to give you a new heart. The innermost part of a human being. We get the word cardiology. In Greek, a cardo was the center street in a town. It was its lifeblood. When the Bible says your heart, it literally means the center of you. Not the center spatially, the center of you in every possible way. There's wickedness bound up there. But God is able to give you a new center. He will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Do we want the spirit of God? If you want to act like God, you're going to have to have the spirit of God. You want with all of your heart to be called his son and daughter? then you have to have his spiritually genetic material inside of you. You have to. We cannot say that we love Jesus and then not love his spirit. Can you imagine what the apostles went through, my friends? They watched our beloved Lord crucified. Anybody in here see Passion of the Christ? Was it easy to watch? Oh, my. I have a good friend It made pass out in the movie theater. I understand that. When asked whether how I felt about it, I said, I feel like I just watched my best friend Matthew get beaten to death in front of my eyes. It was not easy to watch. The apostles saw that. 
Then they had to wait 50 long days. But on that 50th day, the spirit of their friend entered them. And they felt that familiar presence. And no longer did they just know the words of Jesus. They had the ability to carry them out. Come on, it's not enough to know the words of Jesus. We need the ability to carry them out. Do you want the ability to carry them out? Then we have to ask the living God for it. Look how he says here. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you to move you, to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from some of your uncleanness. I will save you from all of your uncleanness. We've been taught so long in church that our sin separates us from God. That we've given our sin more credit than it deserves. We've let it become bigger than it is. The living God is able to pour clean water on you and no matter what you've done, He can put in you a new heart. He can put His Spirit in you so that your strongest desire and now you have the ability to do the things Jesus did. I want to tell you, friends, that before anyone enters the promised land, they have to circumcise their hearts. There has to be a cutting away. You know, I've carried a pocket knife for years now. Anybody in here fancy yourself better than a Jew? Let's cut the tip of your pinky off right now. See how much you want to step up and get circumcised in the flesh. Not such an easy thing. I mean, if you're a baby, it was somebody else's choice. These are grown men. They are grown men, but they realize something has to stop now. My father's generation didn't get it done, and it must stop here. Come on, could you look at your family? I'm not down on your family. Could you look at your family and say, that stops here. It stops now. How many people are bringing children into the world and what do they say? I'm not going to make the mistakes of the generation before me. I will not do what was done to me. And then what do they do? About the time they're mid-30s, they go, oh, God, I became my parents. We're all part of the same disease stock. We are. Black and yellow, red, white, Makes no difference. We come from the same stock. We look around us and we say, you know, the difference is that one's got a beard and this one doesn't. The difference is that one's got curly hair and that one's got straight hair. The difference is that one's got round eyes and that one's got beautiful eyes. The difference is, the difference is, and we're missing it, saints. Somewhere the buck has to stop with us. Somewhere we have to say, let's make a monument to our repentance. The place that they're doing this becomes a monument in Israel's history to their repentance. Turn back with me to Joshua 5. Let us pick up where we left off. Verse 8. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained there where they were in camp until they were healed. Sometimes you just have to camp out on repentance. 
until healing comes. Repentance always precedes power. And power cannot precede repentance. It's when the Holy Ghost shows you right where you are that He can heal you. You can't be healed of what you have concealed. It simply can't happen. This is why the first step to being healed is admitting you have a problem. There's this little blue book that Alcoholics Anonymous jokingly refers to as their Bible. What they don't know is that the man who wrote the little blue book wrote it right out of the Bible and it's been edited so many times that you can barely recognize that now. But the first steps have to do with admitting. Well, how do, how do you do it? Don't act like you don't know. Hi, I'm Eric and I am an alcoholic, an addict, or whatever it is. It begins with admitting what our problems are. This is who Jesus came for. Those who could admit that they had a problem, not those that said, I'm all right and you're all right, look somewhere else. In verse 9, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Wouldn't you think that the reproach of Egypt would have been rolled away 40 years earlier? They've been out of Egypt 40 years, but Egypt had not been out of them five minutes. It takes a circumcision of the heart, a separating from that which is fleshly and that which is spiritual so that you can look back and not say, I know the words of salvation. Not say, I know about Jesus. But you can say, I have the nature of Jesus inside of me. I think the reason so many people pray, Lord, we're just all sinners, is that's all they want you to expect of them. It's just an old sinner. But Paul, he wrote to one of his churches and he said, you yourself know how good and holy and righteous I was when I was among you. How many of you would be comfortable signing that letter? You know what he didn't do? He didn't write to them and say, well, you yourselves know that I'm just an old sinner. He knew that he was both the chief among sinners and he was also the righteousness of God in Christ. And he had circumcised one nature right out of his life that the power of the Holy Ghost might lead him into a new life. You know, one of the things that is a limitation of our understanding of circumcision, what an uncomfortable topic, huh? is when you do it at the eighth day, is once and for all. But if every time you sin, you had to make a new cut, there'd be a whole lot less sin in the world, wouldn't there? Come on, guys, where are you at? There's no amen out there. If every time you sinned, the knife fell, what would happen? You'd learn to walk in holiness, wouldn't you? We've done the same thing with salvation. Oh, y'all act like I'm on an unscriptural topic. Didn't Paul say something similarly to the Galatian church? I wish they'd go the whole... You read your Bibles. You're all theologians. We do the same thing with salvation. We say, oh, way back when, that's when I was saved. Like you don't need to be saved now. When the altar call comes in church, what happens in the heart? You feel that drawing, you feel that pulling, but, 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 but I, I was saved. The thing is, is you're in desperate need of a salvation daily. And if you don't understand that, then you might be so deceived that you never actually were saved. 
There's only one way into this race. Everybody else climbed. <laughs> Yesterday, we needed in a storage facility. How many of you were there? All right, so they can testify to my sinfulness. I was frustrated. The gate didn't open. We were late. Everybody else was there, and we were on the wrong side of the tracks, wrong side of the fence. So you know what I did? I looked at that fence and said, Judah, hop over it and open it. Judah, being my son, hopped over it and opened it. That did not make the facility manager very happy. I looked up and saw a man speaking with my son somewhat aggressively. And being the ambassador of the living God that I am, responded in kind. Come on now, a preacher knows how to say all the right words in all the wrong ways. So the man got, look, fella, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. What else do you want from me? That's probably not going to pour water on a hot situation, is it? And when he didn't accept the first apology, I'd simply restated it again more strongly because everybody knows that that brokenness that comes forward in aggressive speech is what wins over a heart, right? Then I did that thing that men do. I sized him up and said, what else is it that you want from me, friend? It was even worse. By this time, we were already inside the gate, and he had gotten in his little golf cart, and he was following me. Not a very impressive figure sitting behind a golf cart. That's just not the position. That's not the high ground. And in the moment, I looked over at my friends, and I was arrested by the Holy Ghost. There's still yet more circumcision in my heart to be done. So I find myself separating from the crowd, slinking like a slug back to the man's office. And I know an I'm sorry is not going to get it. Now, I've just challenged him in a nonverbal but very physical way. Mouth saying all the right things, body language saying all the wrong things. Anybody know what I mean? So I walked into his office. I wrapped my arms around him and I hugged him. I said, I just did everything wrong and you did everything right. And I'm sorry, I want to be a better man than this. Can you know that that's strange for a lost guy? But I didn't let him go. Until he said he forgave me. And a woman that I can only presume was his wife was just smirking in the corner. I bet he's been on the wrong side of an argument or two in his life. <laughs> Sometimes circumcision is an ongoing process. If you can't preach on your own sin and weakness, friends, then you're not broken enough yet, and God knows how to get you there. Like that one comedian said, I didn't know how many bouncers it was going to take to remove me from the building, but I sure knew how many they were going to use. God will do whatever it takes to get you to a pliable place. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Do you know why Gilgal? Because Gilgal means to roll away. They add a second word to it that literally means hill of foreskins. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but 
You have to circumcise a few million men. That could leave a pile on the ground. What a strange sight. What a grotesque sight. And yet, it was beautiful to the Lord, just like the crucifixion was a grotesque sight. Because men wanted to get right with him so much that they cut themselves in the most private of places. Tell me we don't need to circumcise our hearts. Oh, it may be grotesque to the world. They may look at you as strangely as his name was Russ, if you want to pray for him. As strangely as Russ looked at me. But eventually something inside them breaks because they have the same affliction that you have. They have a stony heart and they're seeing one crack. Oh, that we could crack a heart today. Robin got a soft heart. She does. JJ's got a soft heart. I was not born with one of those. I'm still obtaining it from the Most High. Are you where you want to be in the Lord? Because circumcision in your heart is the way to get there. You know what comes after circumcision in the heart? Then, uh, verse 10, On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. We're always wanting to take the Passover lamb and we have not prepared in our heart in any way to receive him. This is just like taking communion without taking an account of your life. It's a sham. We say, oh, get them to the cross and Jesus will clean them up. Part of the process of being at the cross is understanding all the ways in which you're wrong. That's what's wrong with the help in this life and heaven in the next message. It does not bring you to the place where you recognize your true state. But when you come to the place where you recognize where you're actually at, then you can apply the blood and escape death. Are you hearing me, church? Let me say it one more time in a way that nobody can miss. If your testimony is I was a pretty good fellow all my life, but I became more serious about the Lord at this place in my life, I'm here to tell you the scripture declares that you're a liar. Is that plain enough? It declares that you tried to hop over a fence and come in some other way. If you came in any other way, then knowing that you were an absolute, utter failure, incapable of doing anything good before the Lord, and beg Him for a new heart, then you didn't come in at all. For this reason, I stop asking people, when did you become a Christian? Because what does everybody say? You know, when I was eight, I got baptized, I prayed. I started asking people, hey, Miss Claire, when did you fall in love with Jesus? And you can see the way the woman just smiled, huh? She's not uncomfortable with that at all. You know why? She fell in love with Jesus. But if I ask you that question in a public place, do you drop your eyes? Do you look around? Do you look for a son, daughter, relative, somebody to hold them up? They're a good Christian. When you fell in love with the living God in a way that transforms your life, you know it happened. You may not be able to say the second it happened. You may not even be able to nail it down to a day, but you know it happened. And you can't imagine doing it any other way. I'm going to let that sit with you for a while. We cannot take the Passover lamb without experiencing Gilgal. Gilgal is the process that leads you to the Passover lamb, and the Passover completes 
the process. How many times did they do a Passover in Israel? They were only delivered from death once, but they commemorated it every single year because it was an ongoing process. And have they finished it yet? No, not until the lamb returns as a raging lion. And neither have you completed it. You were saved, you're being saved, and you are yet to be saved. Turn with me to Isaiah 7. Say there when you were there. Now, far be it for me to rush through a message because we have not gotten to the place I want to get to. But I do have a boat to catch today. And it won't wait for me. I heard fellowship recently defined as two fellows in a ship. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus has waited for me long enough. It's time to get on the ship. You hear me? It's time to get on with God. It's time to get on the ship. You can't ask him to wait till you decide to get it right. You can't ask him anymore to say, Lord, would you put it off until next week? There's a party I want to go to. It's time to get on with God. If today's not the day, when is the day? Hebrews declares today is the day of salvation. And if you put a sign beside your bed that says tomorrow I will do thus and so, every day that you wake up, it'll say tomorrow I'll do thus and so. At some point in your life, you have to take a step. You have to decide, draw a line in the sand and say no more. No more low living. This is my moment. In the name of Jesus, I will stand or fall to him. We can't hide in the crowds of our congregations. The Holy Spirit with laser-like focus is drawing us to the spotlight. Not the spotlight of celebrity. The spotlight of the searing presence of the Holy Ghost. Oh, there will be a coming of the Lord. I would rather come to Him first. Are you in Isaiah 7? I got this word this morning and it's just too good not to preach it while I'm here. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, saw that son of Uzziah was, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramelah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. What an interesting thing. The southern kingdom of Israel is called Judah, the predominant tribe there, the house of David, the line through which Messiah came. The northern tribes of Israel can be called Ephraim. They can be called Israel. Suffice it to say that northern and southern tribes didn't always stand together. Is there a place in the center of your being where you know what is right? Who in here can say, there's a place inside me, somewhere in the center of my being where I know what's right? Is that the only force at work within you? See, in Judah, they knew what was right. In Judah, they knew who Messiah would come through. They had received a Davidic promise. It would be the root of Jesse. And they clung to it. And God's name dwelt in Judah at the temple of the living God. And they got many things wrong, but they got that part right. But the other half of them, the northern kings of Israel, teamed up with an outside force. And they tried to overpower Judah. You know what this is just like? This is just like when your flesh and the enemies of God team up together. 
Your flesh wants something and the devil wants to provide it because they hope to overpower what you know is right in your spirit. Listen to the word that God gives them. Verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken. Have you ever been shaken by temptation? Hurt by knowing what you were prone to do? As the trees of a forest is shaken by the wind. Look at verse 7. Yet this is what the Spirit of the Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Sometimes you just need to look at the devil. You need to look at your own flesh and say, I've got a word from the Lord for you. It ain't going to happen. You can tempt me, but it ain't going to happen. This will not take place. A friend of mine was on a tour bus in Israel with me. And we were seated with a professional football player. And I got big hands. But this dude... He could hold a cup in his hand and you could not see the cup. You know what I'm saying? Only she knows what I'm saying. Do you know what I'm saying? So my buddy Gary says to him, hey, what's your name? He said, my name is Brother Otis. Gary says, hey, Brother Odie. (laughs) To which I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I was praying. But Otis was a kind man. He was a pastor from the north. Next day, Gary, he's a, he never met anybody he didn't like. And very few people in this world don't like Gary. He is a jovial soul. Gets on the bus and says, Brother Otis Meyer, you got some cookies. And the next day, he got a new nickname and a new nickname. About day six, he gets on the bus and he says, Hey, Otis, Odie May. Otis said, Yeah, uh, Brother Gary... That is not going to (laughs) happen. And you know what we did not do again? We had no more nicknames for Otis. You need to let the devil and your flesh both know, I got a word from the Lord for you. It is not going to happen. As long as you believe that you must sin, as long as you believe that no matter what you do, you're just a sinner and you're prone to sin then you will continue to do what you have declared. But if you get filled with the spirit of the living God and you look the devil in the eye and more importantly, you look your own evil desires in the eye and say, yeah, that's not going to happen. It will not take place, says the Lord. Then you are drawing your line in the sand, beginning the circumcision of your heart. You have acknowledged what is there and decided to cut it right out of your life. Can I get an amen? While we're in Isaiah, perhaps we could go to the 37th chapter. In the 37th chapter, Israel is besieged. Some people say Sennacherib. Others say Sennacherib. One of my close brothers says Snickerib. It don't matter what you call him. He's outside the walls. And he's trying to find something in you that will agree with him. Something to side against what you know is right. He sends ambassadors to entice you. Demonic messengers to try to drag you away. 
But Isaiah had a word for the king Hezekiah who had taken his stand. And he starts in the 31st verse. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah. Somebody say a remnant. Is there a remnant of you that knows what is right? If there's even a remnant in you, there is still a chance. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. What is taking root inside you will begin to bear fruit above you. Come on, friends. If faithfulness begins to spring up from the earth, the Bible says righteousness will look down from the heavens. Is there even a remnant of truth left? Because if there is, it's all you need. Something that cries out against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. Create it out of nothing. I have so little to offer, if anything at all. Oh, he will meet a heart like that. Why is the gospel for the poor? Because more than anyone else, the poor know what they do not have. And God can meet a heart like that. But the church of Laodicea saw all that they had and did not know what they did not have. And maybe there is not any time period that could better be described by that attitude. All that we have, we do not seem to know what we do not have. Would you all like to read what happens to Snickerib? Sinasherib? Snackerib? For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors... The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city. I will defend this city and save it for the sake, for my sake and the sake of David, my servant. Why will God defend what your spirit knows is right? Because he's the one that deposited that there. You have inside you the citadel of God, the throne of God, the temple of the living God. He says that his spirit will dwell inside you and you will be his temple. He will defend the greatness of his name. But he will not defend the greatness of your name. Being circumcised in the heart is able to separate the two. The difference between your name in his name. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all the dead bodies. The Lord knows how to slay that part of you that is aligned against him. And if you love him, you should ask for his help. There are a few of you in the church that are like me. You have to learn the danger of not getting caught is much higher than the danger of being caught. Follow me, saints. If you are not caught, not exposed in your sin, then your sin goes on, and what does disobedience do? It brings death. But if your sin is caught and exposed, if it doesn't lie concealed but it's been revealed, then it can be healed. In the name of Jesus, we need a Gilgal moment in our lives. 
We need a monument to the time when the sword of the word of God cut the deepest. We need a monument to the time that Sennacherib once and for all was put to death. A time when we learn to speak the word of the Lord through Isaiah and say, yeah, it's not going to happen. It's all right. It's not going to happen. Has anybody ever suggested something to you that was so sinfully ridiculous? You were insulted they suggested it? We need to learn to look at all sin with the same scorn you would look at that sin and go, that is not going to happen. Sometimes you cannot control what passes before your eyes, but you can certainly control what you do with it. Come on, men of God, what's sitting above your shoulders? Your neck, use it. Come on, women. The living God deposits His Word in your heart to tell you what to love, what to long for, and it's not found on days of our lives. I wish it was a soap opera. I wish it cleaned up your life, but it doesn't. They ought to call it a filth opera. In the 50s, they wouldn't show a married man and woman in bed together. And today, you can't get through one of those nasty episodes of ridiculous filth without seeing people in bed with everybody. Maybe we need a Gilgal moment. We should get back to our word. Turn with me to Exodus 14. Stretch it out. Slap it. Stand in the middle. You in Exodus 14? I'm getting there. Don't be surprised that the church is ahead of the pastor many times. In Exodus 14, let's pick up in the 21st verse. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went on through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. You know how that story goes, don't you? In fact, we have cute little cartoons that show Moses in diapers sitting in a baby pool and there are walls of water on his right and left and they say, oh, Moses, stop it. Saw one the other day that was Moses fishing with his buddy. And every time his buddy casted the, the line in the water, Moses stretched out his hand and the line hit dry ground. Because to us, it's a cute thing. It's like teaching our kids to sing the Lord is a warrior. Horses and chariots, he's cast in the sea. Because we never stood on the right side of the river where the dead man was actually floating out there. It's not so cute then. But it's cute to us. Have you ever considered that this man was hemmed in on every side? The sea lay before him, his own people beside him, and Pharaoh behind him. What kind of pressure is that? You know what Jewish tradition says about him stretching out his hand? The Bible says he stretched out his hand, the Lord sent a wind. And of course, it was an all-night prayer, and he crossed on dry ground. Do you know what Jewish tradition says? He went and put his foot in the water, and it got wet while he was praying, and then knee-deep in the water, and then waist-deep in the water that he's inching out there as he prays. And it wasn't until the water got to his nose that it split. 
It seems that the Jewish people know something of struggle. They were not name it and claim it. Burger King Christians, order at this window and pick up at that window. They had endured enough to become mature. I wish it was as easy as just stretch out your hand. Have you ever seen this one? Get the victory. Is it as easy as getting the victory? I mean, is it, is it, has that ever helped anybody get the victory? Come on, you're struggling with a crack addiction and somebody looks at you and says, get the victory. Struggling against sin and somebody says, get the victory. Just stretch out. Does that mean that it's not necessary to stretch out? I want you to understand that that man took a bold step that lasted all night in front of both his enemies and his friends that were acting like enemies. And when it did not split right away, he kept praying until it did split. And because of his tremendous faith, stretching himself out, the living God met him in his hour of need. When is the last time you were truly stretched out, overextended? If the Lord doesn't do it, it won't get done and everybody will know what a failure you are. When is the last time you didn't hedge your bet? When is the last time you didn't have a MasterCard in case God didn't come through? You want to see the miraculous? Learn to get stretched out. Turn with me to 2 Kings. Say there when you're there. We'll be in 2 Kings. Look at the second chapter. Y'all frustrated yet? I'm really going to have to hurry. Because the boat is going to leave. I've been out of the country for almost every anniversary. Most of them missions trips. Although one time I did take her with me. She got to celebrate our 19th in India. Actually, she got to celebrate it on a 23-hour flight in the economy section. <coughs> Marriages will endure some trials, my friends. But when you love each other, even economy class is okay. 2 Kings, the second chapter. Let us pick up then in the 13th verse. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When the, he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. Where did Elisha learn to do such a thing? He had seen Elijah do it. With whose cloak did he do it? He did it with Elijah's cloak. There are times in our lives when we stretch out ourselves in faith. There are other times that we simply look and say, this is what men of God do. They've done it in every generation before and I'm made of the same stuff as them and I will take up the mantle that they have handed me and I will soldier on in the name of Jesus. But I wish it was as easy as just stretching out or just slapping it. I mean, those are just... It's quick. It's like a vending machine. And that's how this is always presented. Oh, I prayed and I had such great faith that it was done. Sometimes we even act like to stay in labor and prayer for somebody is somehow a lack of faith. How far we have fallen. 
When you really love somebody, do you just walk by them when they're hungry and say, oh, I pray God give you food? Or do you go search your life to see if there's anything that you have that might help them? Turn with me to Joshua 3. Let us get to our text today. Sometimes we stretch out. Sometimes we slap it. But most of the time, we've got to stand in the middle of it. Joshua 3. In the third chapter of Joshua, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. I want you to understand that nobody comes to the Jordan River. Nobody comes to the cross of Christ and just plunges headlong in. There is an evaluation time, accounting the cost time. There should be. There should not be this trickery, these parlor tricks. They say, how many of you would like help in this life and heaven in the next? Close your eyes. Now raise a pinky. Now open your eyes. Does everybody see all the pinkies? All you pinkies, come on down because you get pinky Christians that way. We should be told up front, it's going to be a breaking, pulverizing walk. One in which the narrow way takes all of the flesh off of you so that all that is left of you is what is born of God. We don't need to water down the truth. You know why? Jesus is the ultimate and he is worth serving no matter what it costs you. If you knew for certainty, with certainty, oh, like we say it in Louisiana, if you knew for truth, that it would cost you your life to be saved. And you backed up from that, then you are not worthy of the salvation that Jesus brings. You don't hear that enough anymore, do you? It actually sounds strange when it's the only message that was ever preached in the first century. If you back up from death, you are not worthy of the kingdom of God. Of course, he can put his spirit in you so that you do not back up in that moment. But I can assure you, it doesn't reside in you without His Spirit. I've watched Christians sing the wrong song on the wrong side of the river my whole walk. And I have found when they're pressed on every side, you find out what is really in them. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. This is the gospel in short. What does it require? You have to move out from your comfortable position. The God of all comfort has come to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Every church in the book of Revelation that he addressed was surprised by what they were told. The ones that thought they were doing poorly were told they were doing well. The ones that thought they were doing well were told they were doing poorly. Because the living God wants us to learn to evaluate our lives. To leave Ur of the Chaldees. To be able to march on trusting only Him. When in your life did you leave your position and follow Him? Move out from your positions and follow the presence of God. Where has he led you? Led you into innumerable blessing upon blessing so that you don't need him? Or led you into a life of dependency, of tearful repentance? 
of extraordinary power in a broken human being. Move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Is your gospel track a clearly marked road path? Did somebody lay out for you? Follow these 15 scriptures and that's what God requires of you. Because the truth is this spiritual journey is different for every man. And the one thing that we know about it is that he said, come unto me and I will show you what you must suffer for my name. We participate in the sufferings with Christ as we honor Christ through our obedience no matter what we suffer. The gospel takes you places you have never been before. When you think upon your life, what are you doing now that you've never done before? Has your Christian walk become comfortable, lackadaisical? Sycamore fig trees produce figs, but if they don't get circumcised, there's nothing to eat. I love this part. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. The Lord wanted to make sure you never got ahead of his presence. One of the brothers was sharing with me in my office this morning that if you look in the distance and you see a man walking in front of sheep, he's their shepherd. That makes sense, doesn't it? You know where the butcher walks? Behind them. He drives them to the place they must go. The Lord is not our butcher. He is our shepherd. And he is leading us where to go. We need to keep him in front of us. We need to see where he's going so that we can follow him. You led of the Lord or led of tradition? They may be the same thing and they may be not the same thing and you have to know. It's incumbent upon you not to rest on the generations worked before you but to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. I could preach for a year on the word consecrate. Suffice it to say, in this context... It's to set yourself aside in a holy way. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. When the Lord is at your head, when circumcision of the heart has already happened, when you're in that place where He's leading you and every direction is new because you're in over your head, this is the place you see amazing things. Do you want to see amazing things? What do you have to do? You have to consecrate yourselves. You have to commit to follow the Lord and then find Him in the distance and run after Him. It's a lifelong pursuit of Him. I don't know anybody that's ever actually caught Him. But from time to time, because He loves us, He does stretch back His hand and check on us. And if danger approaches you from the rear, the Bible even says He'll be your rear guard. He's big enough to be in front of us and behind us. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Where is the priest supposed to be? Out front. Why? Because he's a visible example. The Ark of God is on his shoulders. The glory of God is resting upon him. And all the people are watching him. 
walking as he walks. The Bible calls you men the priest in your home. Are you ahead of your home or is your home ahead of you? Are you ahead of your children or are your children ahead of you? Do you set the example? Are you the first to repent? Are you the first to cry out to help from God? We're priests in our homes. As a church, we cannot be behind all of the social issues. We're supposed to be ahead of them. As the body of Christ, we can't wait for the world to get right and say God will do it. He set us as an example for them to see on a personal level, on a church-wide level, and on a global level. The sons of God are supposed to lead with the presence of God. Are you leading or following? Or worse yet, are you sitting on your salvation? Neither hot nor cold. Joshua said to the Israelites, uh, verse 7, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Does he tell him that the river is going to split? What's he tell him to do? Let me put this in real terms for us. How many of you know where the Mississippi River is? Would you rather God tell you to stretch out your hand and see it split or go stand in the middle of it? We like the easy. Would you rather God say slap it with somebody else's coat and we'll watch it split or would you rather go stand in the middle of it? I wish we could just slap it. I wish we could just stretch out. But the overwhelming times, number of times in the scripture, what we actually have to do is go stand in the middle of what would kill us. And the world sees something happen. They see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and the fire doesn't hurt them. They see the Christian persecuted, and yet the glory of God is on his shoulders. They see men who are cursed being a blessing. And it teaches the world how to follow the presence of God. It makes us useful to the king of kings. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Who plunged himself into death before you? God did. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel. Who is your example in how to follow Christ? Israel. One from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carries the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. If you think about this, this actually gets a little humorous. We've stepped into the water. What the water do? It's cut off. Let's suppose that it's flowing from this way. And it's still flowing, but it's been cut off. What's that water begin to do? Rise. How long do you think it takes a whole nation to cross? You know what's happening? The water's rising. And it's rising. And it's rising. So every little Israelite boy, what's he have to see? A rising tower 
of death. If the Lord relents at any moment. How did Egypt die, by the way? How did the military might of Egypt die? God caused the Red Sea to crash in on them. And now Israel is stepping out and you say, it's a miracle. It is split, but it's heaping up beside them and heaping up beside them and heaping up beside them. And every person who takes a step from the first to the last has to do it by faith because at any moment, you know, we often believe that somebody else God will save. If Cassidy goes, the water will split. If Grace goes, the water will split. If Jasmine goes, but when it comes our turn to step. Are you getting a little nervous now? How about this one, saints? You ever been surrounded by a whole heap of troubles? Jay said that's the way for Christians to grow. To just be surrounded by a whole heap of stuff. It was looming over them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of... Anybody who has ever actually followed Jesus is familiar with that shadow. It's what we're being delivered from as our hearts are circumcised. But you know what happens? Every single Israelite crosses the entire nation. It's like Romans eleven twenty six 26 is true. All Israel will be saved. Every single one. And he doesn't stop there. By the time you get to the fourth chapter in the first few verses, do you know what the priests are told to do? They take stones, not from the bank of the river, not near the river, not from the edges of the river, from the middle of the river. Saints, if we don't lead, they won't have anything to follow. You don't lead your home, your home will have no one to follow. If you don't lead in the church, the world won't have anything to follow. If the body of Christ doesn't lead globally, then they have nothing to follow. But if you will plunge yourself into death for the greatness and glory of God, then we carry out the other side a monument. And it doesn't have our name on it. It's a monument that says how great our God is. In this way, your brokenness magnifies His greatness. You know, we've come to that place in the message, though. You, you've camped on the side of the river, circumcising your heart. You know what else you still have to do? You have to actually place your foot in it. And every human being has the same stuff in them. Think, but well, uh, what if it doesn't, doesn't work for me? I know that one got filled with the Holy Ghost and began speaking in other tongues, but what... Well, what if, what if it doesn't for me? I, I, I know their whole life changed, but, but, but what if it doesn't for me? You know what you have to do, saints? You have to step into the river. And either God is God or He's not. Your sin is not bigger than Him. And your problems are not bigger than Him. Will you recklessly throw caution to the wind? Will you abandon concern for your reputation? and take a step. Could y'all stand to your feet? We would like just to stretch out. We'd like to just slap it. But the Lord requires you to stand in the middle of it. Salvation begins with a step towards God that puts something at risk for you. How long have you sat with the same baptism experience? 
Treat it like a checklist. I went to the store and I got milk and I got bread and I got eggs. And yeah, when I was young, I got baptized in water and, and maybe even got touched by the Holy Ghost. Check, 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 done. The word says to be being filled. And while the waters of judgment are cut off and they're rising in a heap beside you, the waters of faith ought to be rising in your heart to meet those challenges. Come on, is there faith rising in the people of God? You can show it by your very first step. Who wants to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? Who wants to be born again? Who is it out there that says, now more than ever, I know that the Spirit of God requires of me that I cannot sit back in silence. I have to step up in faith because it becomes a monument that you can share with others. On thus and such day, maybe it's July 28, 2013, I took my stand and he met me there. Oh, it requires a circumcision of the sinful nature. We're going to begin to pray.